The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 to 18 is where we're going to spend our time this morning. And a word is going to come up that I want us to talk about real briefly before we, before we read. And I think it's important for us to differentiate between two words. And that word is liberty. We'll be looking at liberty a little bit this morning. And we need to kind of figure out for ourselves, what is the difference between liberty and freedom? The difference between liberty and freedom. Now, you might think of these as interchangeable. You might think of these as words that uh, you can use together. It's, it's no problem. It's, it's the exact same thing. But there is, a, there is a difference between liberty and freedom. And honestly, definitions change. And that's something that we must be aware of as we study the Bible, as we study scripture, because what happens is you come across words such as freedom. God has set you free. And what happens is we insert our definition into what that is free. Well, this is what free means. And without studying, without going back and really seeing, well, what did the apostle Paul mean by freedom? So you can really have an impact then on what the, on what the passage means. And it begets, it becomes very easy for us to be led astray by our own definitions. If we're, if we're not, if we're not careful, I came across an article talking about liberty and freedom, and I, I want to read it for you because I think it will help maybe a little bit. It says, liberty and freedom are distinct as well. As the political theorist Hannah Pitkin has observed, liberty implies a system of rules, a network of restraint and order. Hence the words close association with political life. Freedom has a more general meaning, which ranges from an opposition to slavery to the absence of psychological or personal encumbrances. No one would describe liberty as another name for nothing left to lose. Well, freedom became very popular in our country in around the 50s and 60s. You started hearing that word being used more so than liberty. But if we go back to our founding fathers and we see uh, the Revolutionary War, it was liberty that we fought for. And there was an understanding that as we gain liberty, it doesn't mean now that we do whatever we want all the time. It just means that within our Liberty. There are some freedoms, but there's still a system of rules. There's still a way to live. There's still things to be done. And so I want us to understand that as we approach our passage this morning, because liberty will come up. What Paul's going to discuss now with the Galatians church is the fact that within us, we still have a war raging inside of us. There is a war that continues to battle inside of our hearts this morning, even as believers. And Paul lays out for us a couple battle plans, one battle plan that leads to destruction and the other battle plan that leads to victory. Now, it should be obvious for us which battle plan we want to follow. But sadly, I think oftentimes we fall into the one that leads to destruction. And so follow along with me in Galatians chapter five, beginning in verse 13, and we'll read through verse 18. It says, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit 
and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. When we talk about a war raging inside of us, I really see this in verses 13 and then verse 17 and 18. I think we would be fooling ourselves, and I would hope that you would agree with me in saying this, but we'd be fooling ourselves if we stand here today and we act as if we have everything under control. You know, if we, if we look around and say, no, I'm completely good, I have everything under control. You see, some people feel that when God saves them by his grace, now everything is going to be easy. Everything is just going to be nice. It's going to be just rainbows all the time. It's just going to be a glorious time because Jesus has saved me and he loves me. And so now it's easy street from here on out. In fact, I would dare say a lot of Christians tend to act that way. When, when you guys come in here in the morning or when you fellowship together and you you shake each other's hands and you say, you know, how are you doing? Almost, almost 100% of the time, it's great. I'm doing great. Or, or some people will get a little more spiritual and say, I'm doing better than I should. You know, or I'm blessed. I'm blessed, they'll say. All of it meaning I'm, I'm doing fine. I'm doing, I'm doing all right. But we know that that's really not the case. And in fact, it can actually teach something kind of bad to the rest of the world. Oh man, being saved means that everything is good all of the time. I see this played out in social media. One of the things our North American Mission Board is really big on with our church planners is they need to have a social media presence. I know they push it and I see it. I see it all over the place. And I rarely ever find a pastor saying how bad things are in his life. It's always, look at my four kids smiling at the camera perfectly, eating this great meal that I just made for them. It's like a five-course meal. It's fantastic, and we love Jesus. And that's the picture that you see, and it's like, my pastor household's not like that. We're, we're eating on the fly. I'm yelling at the kids. They spilt it in the car. I'm ticked as all get out. And then when we get to where we're supposed to be, now smile. Right? We know that's not true. We see that, and we know that because we know personally that inside of us there is a war that continues to rage spirit against flesh. And even though Christ has saved us, and we don't have to worry about that, we don't have to to worry about, you know, uh, earning anything, nothing like that has to happen anymore. We know we're saved by His grace, yet we still feel this tension. We still feel this this pull within us where we say we know what we should do, but yet I really don't want to do it. I want to do this other thing. I'm being drawn over here. And and so we we that war of the spirit. What does it mean by spirit? Well, as I've been mentioning, when God frees us from sin, the Bible tells us that he poured out his righteousness on us. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 21 says For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Christ Jesus knew no sin. There was no sin in his life, but yet he went to the cross and he died so that we could take part in that righteousness because we could not do it on our own. And so we have been set free now. 
This doesn't mean we have no more temptation of sin. We all know that we have these temptations from sin. It doesn't even mean that we're not going to sin anymore. But what it means is that we are not judged based on our sin. We're judged based on Christ's perfection. And so if we are free from the judgment of sin, then we stand before God holy because of Christ and what he has done. Now, because of this, because of this freedom from sin that God has given us, we have liberty in Christ. And now this is where the definitions are important. We have freedom from sin, but we have, we have now have liberty in Christ. This might be called, and maybe you've heard this little phrase before, Christian liberty. Christian liberty. As Christians, we have a liberty. You hear this come up within churches uh, when you're talking about rules and about rules that have become associated with churches. Maybe some of you are old enough to remember uh, some of these things. Uh, they, they still exist today, but you know, you go into certain churches and is that a deck of cards in your pocket? You better, you better not be playing cards. Don't, don't play cards or you're not a Christian. Did you, did you just sway a little bit to that song? How dare you dance in church? Don't you dare move and dance in church. You know, and we can go on and on and on with these little things that just get tacked on that really add a lot of weight to us. Now, listen, some of these rules are good. I'm not, I'm not trying to bash on rules, but some of them are, are bad. And so what you start hearing is people saying, hey, I have liberty in Christ. I'm not held down by this. You're, you're judging me because I played some euchre or I played war with my kids with cards or whatever it may Whatever it may be, as, as parents, I think there's all kinds of rules as Christian parents that weigh you down as parents. Did you read the Bible every day with your kids? Can they tell you what the Trinity is even though they're two? Well, they should, you know, and we just feel this weight all the time on us. And this is where Christian liberty oftentimes comes up because we're reminded we're not held down by these external rules. I'm not held down by people's judgments because God has made me free. God has set me free. And within that freedom, I now have liberty. And so when we talk about spirit and walking in the spirit, that's what we're looking at. That's part of what we're looking at this morning. But that's one side of the war. The other side is the flesh. And that fleshly side that we still have is constantly being tempted. It's constantly, it seems, being tried and we fall at times. We, we lead it, we go into that and we fall and we, we fall short because our eyes seem to be ever wandering. They're always wandering. Our eyes are always kind of looking and, and peering out and looking to see is the grass greener there? Is it better over there? Should we, should we maybe go and attach our train to that? Because maybe it'll be more fun. Maybe, maybe it'll be more exciting. I mean, to make it very uh, relevant to us and put it into our Christian context, it's what we do when we, when we uh, church shop. You know, I think it's going to be better if I go over here because I like this music so much better than this one. And then what happens is you go over there and if you get involved at all, you realize it's just a mess, just like the church you just left. Because all churches are messed up because we have messed up people in them. But we think, oh, it'd just be so much nicer if I could go over there. Man, if I was just right next to David Jeremiah's church, I would be so happy because I could go to his church all the time. And it would just be perfect because that church has to be perfect. He's wrote books before. 
That's just not how it is. You see, I don't have to lay out for you, I don't think, all of the examples of our flesh and how they tempt us. You can see it in verse 19 to 21, and we'll talk more about that next week. But I I do want to ask you, how often in your life do you really feel that tension inside of spirit versus flesh? Because I I was thinking about that this week as as I wrote that question down. How often do we feel this tension? And when I first wrote it down, in my mind, I was thinking, everybody's going to say all the time. But as I really started to think about it, one of the things that started, I started to think was, actually, I think as Christians, we probably don't feel it enough. There's probably too many Christians today who do not feel this war raging within. There is no guilt associated with sin. There is this assumption that they are good and the things that they do are always good and therefore God should be proud of them and what they do. I don't think that's the case. This is a tension that we should feel, this war that is going on in our hearts. In fact, I would dare say that every moment, every morning when we wake up, the war starts. One of the pastors that I love listen to, he quotes this verse all the time. It's Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6 through 11. And just see if this pertains to you at all. It says, go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. From the moment our alarm clock dings, instantly sin begins to tempt us. It's a lot warmer in here. Don't unfold those sheets. Don't get out of bed. Hit the snooze button. It's only eight minutes. All right, it's only eight more minutes. You'll be okay, right? We'll be all right. Now, I'm not saying we don't get tired and that that's always bad, but I think we can all agree in here there's times when the sin of laziness really creeps in. The sin of laziness is so easy for us to fall, fall into. And as Christians, that is the last thing that is supposed to define us. We're supposed to be hard workers. And so even from the moment we wake up, that war starts. Am I going to get out of bed? Am I going to work hard? Am I going to serve the Lord today? Am I going to do it joyfully? Well, with this war raging, there are two battle plans. The first one we see in verse 15, it says, but if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. The first battle plan I think is the easiest one. It's to serve the flesh, but the problem is it leads to devouring other flesh. It's very easy for us to fall back in to serving our wants and our desires because that is what we naturally are is we are worshipers of ourselves. We worship ourselves. We care most about ourselves. And so it becomes easy for us to care about ourselves. And in fact, we're constantly saturated with advertisements and media telling us we are the most important person there is. I mean, that's one of the downsides of a lot of churches that I come across is they want to tell their members how important they are and how special they are and how important we are to God and how important we are to this city. The problem as we talk that way and we think that way is we're just serving us. We serve us. And so we see billboards 
that if you'll just eat at McDonald's, you'll be happy. You'll be smiling. You'll have more money in your pocket because it's cheaper here. We think these things and we fall prey to them. But the truth is, what the Bible teaches us is that as we fulfill our fleshly desires, and what I mean by that is as we care only about ourselves, as we think of ourselves and worry about ourselves all the time, all it leads to is devouring other flesh. You might ask, well, what does that look like? As I, as I studied this and really tried to dive into it, the best picture that I found is what Paul is talking about here is he's talking about the animal kingdom. I don't know what you think about animals. I don't know how you view them. Some of you worship them and you shouldn't. Some of you don't care enough about them and you shouldn't be that way either. But life in the animal world is difficult. It's live or die every day. It's you better eat or you're going to die. You better watch out for that guy or he's going to eat you. And it's not a pretty sight. And that's the picture we have here. Devouring the flesh like hyenas eating on a deer. That's the picture here. Ripping it apart. And Paul's saying that when you do this as a Christian, when you serve the flesh, when you only care about yourself, this is what you do to each other. You are devouring each other. Not just yourself, because that's all you care about yourself. You're devouring everybody else. One of the commentaries that I read, uh, it's called Preaching the Word Commentary in the Galatians series. He posed some questions. It was, it was quite a few pages, and I, I'm not going to read that much at all. But he put some things there of, of ways we do this. And I want you to hear them, because I, I thought they were good. It says, when we coddle an unforgiving spirit, or when we harbor a grudge, we're being fleshly. When we fail to overlook minor offenses from other people, this is in Proverbs 19. When we allow ourselves to put a negative spin on the actions of others, we've become really good with that. When we indulge ourselves in speaking negatively about other people, when we engage in conversations with those who are negative, or when the discussion turns negative, when we fail to deal with our personal grievances swiftly and directly, because the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. You see, this list is a small little list here. And most of these, I would dare say, seem very petty. And when we're talking about devouring each other, you're going to tell me saying a little negative thing about somebody. Yeah, that is what I'm saying. I want us to see how easy it is for us to simply care about ourselves more than everybody else. Just harboring a little grudge over something and just letting it sit there. The only thing that grudge does to you is eat you up inside. All it does is separate a relationship and destroy a relationship. And it should just be dealt with and got over. Or simply maybe you just need to get over yourself and forget about it and stop worrying about it. As we live to the flesh, we devour each other. I want you to think about your relationships. I want, to, I want you to think about the relationships you have within the church and ask, are they real? Is it a real relationship? Are they good? Are they trusting? Are they, are they a freeing relationship or does it feel more burdensome? Because if they're not freeing, if they're not trusting, then they're not real. They're not real. 
And the church is supposed to be the place where we could come and be real, be open, be, be honest, be caring. So often we live our lives beat up. We live our lives broken because we choose to fight it out in the animal kingdom every day instead of choosing to love as, as God calls us to love. And you feel the effects. You might have said earlier, man, I know that war you're talking about, Pastor. I, I feel that. But you also know the feeling of being devoured on both ends. And it's not what we should do because God has called us to something better, to something different. And that gets us to our second battle plan. He says to walk in the spirit in verse 14 and verse 16. And by walking in the spirit, he tells us what that means and what that looks like. He says it means serving each other. And as we serve each other, we have freedom in Christ. This is our liberty. See, the difficult choice is the one that God calls us to. It's easy to follow our flesh, but it's very difficult to continue to follow the Lord and the things that he calls us in. But he calls us to serve, to put others first. And we do this because we are freed to actually do it. God has freed me from my selfishness. He's freed me from my sin. And now he's given me the liberty to serve you. He's given you the liberty to serve me. He's given us the liberty to serve each other. And it's interesting because he says all the law is fulfilled in this. Look at verse 14. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, we teach this to our kids in children's church right now. Love your neighbor as yourself. So simple, so basic. But yet the Bible tells us that the whole law is summed up in this. If you would just simply love each other, it would be all good. It'd be all good. It's interesting to me, but... I'm around Christians a lot. And what I hear from Christians are things like, you know, Pastor Tim, I'm really interested in prophecy. I wish you'd teach on prophecy. I wish you'd just teach me everything prophetic in scripture so that I can understand the times, so that I can view the days and, and know what is happening. You know, maybe we should do a sermon series on angels. I'm real interested in those things. You know, what are they exactly? And what is the purpose behind them? Or how about the Nephilim in Genesis 6? I hate when I hear somebody say that word, Nephilim. I'm like, oh, I don't want to talk to you anymore. I'm no interest in having a conversation with you because you're going to go down some weird road right now to me. I mean, it even happens with our youth. Pastor Scott asked our youth a couple Wednesdays ago, what's the next book you want to study? And he said, overwhelmingly, they said, Revelation. And now why do we do this? I mean, it's curiosity for us and there's nothing wrong with studying scripture. Please don't get me wrong. Uh, there's nothing wrong with uh, knowing the prophetic side of scripture. There's nothing wrong with trying to understand angels or even what were the Nephilim in Genesis chapter six. There's all these things that are fine and great to study or, or what is heaven going to be like? Scripture speaks of that. Uh, what is hell like? Scripture, scripture speaks of that too. There's nothing wrong with studying those things. But in most cases, in most cases, I, I don't want to say 100% because that probably isn't accurate. But when someone comes to me and says, man, I just would really like to know prophecy. My response almost all the time, what I really want to say is, do you love your neighbor yet? Do you love your church yet? Do you serve them? Have you gotten over yourself yet? Is it all about you still? Or is it about everybody else? Because if you haven't done that yet, we can't get to revelation yet. 
We're not going to dive into prophecy because scripture is very clear. All the law is fulfilled in this. Love your neighbor. And if you can't love your neighbor, then why are you going into this other things? To be honest, what I found is people want to know more about prophecy. They want to know more about angels and Nephilim. You want to know why? So they can devour the people who don't. So they can make them look stupid. Oh, you haven't heard this? You must not study your Bible like I do. You don't know what the number seven means? You don't know what the number 12 means? Huh, what church do you go to? Do you even know scripture? Hmm. Do we know what love means? Because Jesus has set us free and he has given us the liberty to love each other. So many problems within church life could be solved in this if we would just love each other. Not if we would learn more, but if, but if we would love more. One of the things I heard when I was young, and I still hold this to be true. I can't remember who told it to me, but he said, how can you pray for somebody every day and still hate them? The answer is you can't. If you're honestly praying for your fellow Christians and the fellow members within your church, if you're, if you're honestly praying for your neighbor and you're praying for your neighbor that they would come to know the Lord and you're praying for your neighbor that they come to know the Lord, you're not going to hate that neighbor just because he constantly tells you where the boundary line is. You're, you're not going to hate your neighbor because he gets mad at you because you're making too much noise. But you're going to see him as lost. And it's going to break your heart that he doesn't know Jesus yet. Because you're praying for him and you're, you're caring for him and you're loving him well through prayer. First Corinthians chapter eight, verse one, or chapter eight through chapter 11, Paul's talking to the church in Corinth and he's dealing with something similar to, to this. He's, the church is quarreling. They're quarreling a lot over a lot of things, but one of the things they're quarreling in eight through 11 is food sacrifice to idols. And so Paul wants to deal with that. And so Paul told them that eating meat sacrificed to idols, it means nothing. He's like, it doesn't mean anything. That idol's nothing. It's just a piece of wood or a piece of stone. Don't worry about it. You can eat, you can eat the meat. But he, but he also says to some, he says, it's a stumbling block. So I want to encourage you, don't do it. Now, it's really confusing if you read it because it's like, wait a second. Go ahead and do it. Don't do it. You're not held by it but kind of be held by it. You know, what, what is Paul getting at here? You see, what Paul wants them to see is that they are free to serve. They're, they're not held down by this, this thing of meat being sacrificed to idols, but what they are held by in their liberty is the conscience of their fellow Christians, of those around them. And he's saying, if it's going to bug them, then don't do it. Because Paul would say in, in uh, chapter 9, I'm free to eat meat. He's saying, I'm free to work and earn a wage. I'm free to do all this stuff. You cannot hold me back from this. But then when he gets to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I'm going to read kind of a big section, so you might want to turn there in Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15 to 27. Paul says this. He says, but I have made no use of any of these rights. Nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. 
For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with the stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge so as to not make full use of my right in the gospel. And then he gets to a section that we all know. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessing. So let me stop there for a moment. What Paul is saying is he's saying, in my Christian liberty, in the liberty that I have, Christ has set me free. And now in my liberty, what I do is I become all things to all people. Why? So that I can see them come to know the Lord, so that I can share the gospel with them. I do not want to hinder them in any such way. Let me give you a real example. Your neighbor says, hey, the boundary line's here. Why do you keep crossing it? The answer is very simple. I'm sorry. No big deal. No big deal. Talking about six inches. Okay. Why do I do that? I have the legal right by law. No, you're not right. It's actually six inches over. That, That tree is mine. But in my Christian liberty, I don't serve myself. I serve others. I become all things to all people. Why? Because I want my neighbor to know the truth of the gospel. And if this is going to hinder him, if this is not going to give me an opportunity to share the gospel, then why in the world would I worry about it? That's what Paul's saying at this point. Because then Paul goes into verse 24 and 27, which is some of my favorite verses to talk about discipline. Look what he says. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? But only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. What is he talking about? He's talking about these spiritual disciplines. And why does he do the spiritual disciplines? So that he can grow in relationship with God? No, so that he can serve other people better so that they might come to know God. He's saying, I don't want to be disqualified from sharing the gospel with them. So I constantly discipline myself saying, Tim, get over yourself. Love them. Care about them. Man, I don't know how this could be any more relevant to us as husbands or us as spouses. We had friends over last night and I got, whenever we have these friends over, it comes to husband and wives and how much they serve each other. And it all comes to me for some reason. And I have to listen to the areas in my life that I could be better in as if I don't already know them. Does anybody else ever feel that weight? I mean, you could speak nicer. You could do more. You know, you can do this and you can do that. And as we talked, I said the struggle, the big struggle years ago, I had this huge struggle. I just really couldn't get over it. But it was, if I'm going to serve you, and I'm going to give everything to you. And I don't get anything in return. Is, am I able to do that? And that was hard for me to say, yes, do it anyways. 
If it's not reciprocated, if it's not given back, you're still supposed to do it because you are her husband and that is what you are called to do, not for a response from her. That was really hard for me to think about as a husband, as a person. And it's really hard for us to think about as a church member. God has called us to love each other, to work hard so that in our freedom, in our liberty, we can serve each other, not expecting something in return. But we do it simply so that we wouldn't be disqualified, so that we can continue to share the gospel freely with people. Paul then goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Flip to there. This is how we're going to end. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23 to 33. And ending his talk about idols, food, food to idols, he ends it this way. He says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner, and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? And then look at these verses, verse 31 through 33, verse 31 for sure, we quote all the time. So whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Now, so often when I hear verse 31 there quoted, whatever you do, eat or drink, whatever you do, give all to the glory of God, I hear that used from winners. As they cross the finish line and they're being interviewed, I want to give all the glory to God today. Hey, you just made the game-winning basket. What do you have to say? I want to give all the glory to God today. That's not what this verse is saying. That's not what all of this means. What Paul is saying is he's saying you're worried about these rules of eating and drinking and all this stuff. Stop worrying about that. Whatever you do, whatever you do, you do it to the glory of God. And he's already told us how we walk in the glory of God. And that is what? We serve each other. We love each other. There is a reason that when God saves us, he makes us a part of his family. It's because we cannot be Christians alone. You don't live on an island. You can't come to me and say, Pastor Tim, you know, my heart, God's just been working and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have my own home church every day. Just me and the Lord. And so you probably won't see me anymore. My response to that would be very simple. That is not a Christian thought. That is not a Christian response. That is not correct. That is not right. That is a lie from Satan if you believe that that is healthy for you. We have been called to come together and to serve together in the freedom that Christ has given us. 
we serve and we live an abundant life. That is how we live abundantly is when we serve each other until we're empty. I want to beg you, don't waste your life serving the flesh. Don't waste your life on your 401k. Don't waste your life on kids' sports. Don't waste your life on education. Don't waste your life on these things that the world tells us is the most important thing in this world. I'm not saying those things are bad. I'm not at all. But when they become our master, what we're saying is, I am my master. I am the most important. And all that leads to is us devouring each other. And then that's what spills out these walls and we start to devour our community with just a little bit of Christianese in it. If we are going to be the church that God calls us to be, if you are going to actually experience true freedom in your life, then you must use your Christian liberty, not for yourself, but for those around you right now, sitting by you, to care for each other, to love each other. I believe husbands, if you would start serving your wife like you are called to do, not expecting anything in return, but loving them sacrificially every single day for their glory, for their benefit, for their honor, just keeping it all on them, your marriage will be abundantly blessed and you will feel better. Wives, if you will do the same thing for your husband, love him, care for him, respect him. Don't, don't constantly tell him all he hasn't done, but just love him sacrificially. You know what will happen in your marriage? You'll see your husband love you more too. You'll feel complete. You'll feel made whole. Church member, do you love your church members? Do you care for each other? Are you using your liberty to see them grow? Are you using your liberty to see them flourish? Are you instead using your liberty for your selfish reasons? I think that's a challenging word for us this morning that Paul has laid out to the, to the Galatian church. Yes, we are free, but in our freedom, we are called to liberty and it's the liberty to serve each other. I hope that we'll be a church known for that, known to serve, to care. And we do it all for the glory of God. We do it all to honor God. We don't worry about these other things. We want to love each other well. And to love people well. So they'll respond to the gospel. I'm going to ask if you would bow your head with me and close your eyes. If you're anything like me this week and studying this passage and hearing this message. It is convicting. We have a war that continues to rage within us. And every day we have to fight the battle to choose to walk in the spirit. And when we choose to walk in the spirit, what we are choosing is not ourselves. We're choosing others. And man, that's a hard thing to do. Because we just don't know how others are going to respond. We don't know if it's ever going to be reciprocated back to us. Fight that. Fight that feeling. It doesn't matter if it's reciprocated to us. God has already given us everything we need in Christ. We don't need the praise of this world. We don't need the praise of our family. We don't need those things. We need to serve them. 
and we need to love them. And if as a church, we are all doing that, guess what? We will be served as well. You won't have to worry about yourself because your, your family will be. God, I pray this morning that you would show us areas of our lives where we continue to serve our flesh. But, and God, I'm thankful though that I, I can step back from that and know how often I fail in that. But yet, God, I'm free because of Christ. This, this doesn't weigh on my salvation. But God, as I want to walk in you, as I want to serve you, God, you've made it very clear. The way to do that is to make myself least of all and to make others more important. So God, I pray that I would do that personally within my family, within my church, within my neighborhood. God, help us as Christians to fight that battle every day, but to choose to love And God, I know that's difficult. So help us to encourage each other in that. God, as we get ready to sing this last song, I pray that you would continue to speak to our hearts, continue to challenge us. God, I know there's people here this morning who need to confess sin to you. I know there's people here this morning who need to confess sin to each other. Grudges that have been held that need to just be destroyed. Negative talk that needs to stop. Always seeing the bad side instead of seeing the good side of each other. God, I pray that that would stop within these hallways, that it would stop within the chat rooms and the the Facebook pages. God, help us to love how you've called us to love. And God, when we do that, we will see you work in such a mighty way, not just within our church, I believe, but within our community as well. So God, right now, help us to respond to your word as we sing this song we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.